welcome everyone to March for Science Earth Day 2017. Welcome to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, where we bring you engaging conversations about wildlife and conservation issues from all across the globe. I'm your host, Matt Podolsky. What you just heard in the introduction were sounds from the March for Science in Washington, D.C., where Eyes on Conservation correspondent Stacy Hollis was capturing audio and recording interviews specifically for this special episode of the show. As many of our listeners are likely aware, we engaged in an experiment this past weekend and sent seven Eyes on Conservation correspondents out to cover seven different March for Science events all across the U.S. Today's episode is the end result of that experiment. We'll start the episode off in Washington, D.C., the main event this past Saturday, Earth Day 2017. The Washington, D.C. march was attended by tens of thousands of people despite the heavy rain and featured a number of prominent speakers. The first thing we're going to do here is uh, hear some snippets from a selection of these prominent scientists who addressed the crowd in our nation's capital. Creations. 
Well, without that medium, we are drained of our spark. So how do we set fire to our spark? How do we create a true nation of makers, doers, agents of change? We start by prioritizing funding for hands-on STEM experiences for our youth, by supporting the arts and creative thinking as a key component that will impact our world for years to come. And the cautionary tale is this, that if you do not prioritize these things, if you believe that the road to a prosperous future for America and the human race is paved without a foundation of science, technology, engineering, arts, and the math, you will, not, you will find yourself with no road at all. If humanity road runs out of its spark, if innovation is impossible, and if people are unable to conceive of solutions to sustain ourselves, our culture and our earth will be lost. There will be no road to the future. So let us stand today as members of the human race, a nation of scientists, innovators, and makers in solidarity to prioritize our future. Let us say yes to science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. Science. Yes to federal funding and innovation. Yes. On this While there were lots of prominent scientists addressing the crowd in Washington, D.C., one of the most well-known speakers to address the crowd, at least for folks from my generation, was Bill Nye, the science guy. significance of science for our health and prosperity. The process of science has enabled humankind to discover the laws of nature. This understanding has in turn enabled us to feed and care for the world's billions, build great cities, establish effective governments, create global transportation systems, explore outer space, and know the cosmos. of the Constitution of the United States, which has become a model for constitutional governments everywhere, included Article 1, Section 8, which refers to promoting the progress of science and useful arts. Its intent is to motivate innovators and drive the economy by means of just laws. They knew that without the progress of science and useful arts and engineering, our economy would falter. Without scientific and literate citizens in the United States, any country, in fact, cannot compete on the world stage. Yet today we have a great many lawmakers, not just here, but around the world, deliberately ignoring and actively suppressing science. Their inclination is misguided and in no one's best interest. Our lives are in every way improved by having clean water, reliable electricity, and access to electronic global information. Each is a product of scientific discoveries, diligent research, and thoughtful engineering. These vital services are connected to policy issues, 
which can only be addressed competently by understanding the natural laws in play. Some may consider science the purview of a special or separate type of citizen, one who pursues natural facts and generates numerical models for their own sakes. But our numbers here today show the world that science is for all. Our lawmakers must know and accept that science serves every one of us, every citizen of every nation and society. Science must shape policy. Science is universal. Science brings out the best in us. With an informed, optimistic view of the future, together, and dare I say it, save the world! A common theme throughout the day was the issue of climate change. Speakers addressed the need for politicians to recognize the scientific consensus regarding our role in causing this crisis, as well as the role of science in finding ways to mitigate the impacts of climate change. We are racing now toward a climate cliff, and our coal-loving president is punching the accelerator. And so millions of us are marching across America and around the world. Our job is clear. Today is the first step in a long-term battle for scientific integrity, a battle for transparency, a battle for survival. So don't leave here thinking that you came out in the rain, all of you, this awesome crowd, standing in the rain, freezing and thinking, now you've done your part. Because you haven't, not yet. Like that first Earth Day, this Earth Day is just the beginning. And in that battle, losing is not an option, because if we lose this fight, we will pass on a desolate, impoverished planet for the next 100 generations. I'm old enough that I can remember when people all over the Earth saw America as the world's best hope. Today, right here, right now, all of you, let's commit ourselves to becoming the world's best hope again. In February of 2008, I looked back at the planet from the vantage point of space, and I knew that data and science are important to ensure that we have a sustainable climate, a sustainable planet. But we can't put our heads in the sand and act like it's not there. I realize that what matters are not racial or geographical boundaries, not our money or power. What matters is taking care of our planet, of each other, and of all life. And we need science to light our path and to guide our steps forward. That's why I'm here today. Let's work together as one team on this spaceship we call Earth. So of course we gotta deal with the biggest issue right now, which is climate change. 
And to lead off the set, we have one of the pioneers, a pioneering climate scientist, Professor Michael Mann from Penn State University. And he has been a tireless advocate for communicating climate scientists to the public. And that has brought him under fire from doubters and deniers. So please give a big warm welcome for Professor Michael Mann. My path of discovery led me to publish the now iconic hockey stick curve in the late 1990s. Thank you. <laughs> the hockey stick uh, curve tells a visual story um, that the current warming spike is unprecedented as far back as we can go. And it's our continued burning of fossil fuels that's the culprit. Fossil fuel interests, along with front groups and politicians doing their bidding, attacked it and me. Despite dozens of independent confirmations of my findings by the National Academy of Sciences and many others, uh, the effort to discredit this research and to discredit me personally continued. I was initially reluctant to be at the center of a fractious, the fractious public debate over human-caused climate change, but I ultimately came to embrace that role. I've become convinced that there's no more noble pursuit than seeking to ensure that policy is informed by an objective assessment of scientific evidence. And so here we are at a crossroads. Never before have we witnessed science under the kind of assault it is right now. Never before have we needed science more um, to deal with the changing climate. All of us who care about science and our planet must now make our voices heard. And indeed, today, the entire world is listening. Thank you. Good afternoon. I'm James Baylock. I'm a patriot. I fight for spacious skies. I fight for amber waves of grain, for Purple Mountain's majesty. You all are patriots. But I do that by being a photographer, filmmaker, and scientist. We have met here today where a great battle for the minds, body, and soul of this country is being fought. Among other things, it is a battle between objective reality and ideological fiction. My team and I have collected visual evidence of the epic changes sweeping the earth today. I've seen how burning coal, oil, and gas cooks the air we breathe. I've seen how that altered air heats our forests until they explode in fireballs and homes burn down. I've seen through more than a million frames of time-lapse photography how trillions of tons of glacier ice are melting. I've seen that meltwater enter the seas and flood the coastlines of America. Nature isn't natural anymore. You and I and all seven and a half billion of us are changing the climate. It's what the real world evidence says. But you know, there's good news too. Each one of us can use our voices and our choices to take us down the road to a better future. I submit to you that we the people have an inalienable right, not just to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, but to clean air, clean water, and a stable climate. Our survival demands it, 
and our children deserve it. And so, empowered by evidence and real world's truth, we shall fight for spacious skies. We shall fight for amber waves of grain. We shall fight for majestic mountains. And we shall march on these streets. We shall never, ever surrender. many threats. The most immediate and costly is extreme weather. Floods, hurricanes, droughts, wildfires. We need to be able to predict those changing extremes, but we can't predict what we don't observe and study. And that's why we must protect the agencies, the programs, the scientists, and the engineers who are working to protect the air we breathe and the oceans that we fish in that keep our natural beauty in check and that really keep our communities and our families safe because strong science means a strong American economy. It makes our world more livable and more beautiful for our children and it keeps all of us safe. So I am so proud to march with all of you today. Thank you. Today we stand against an administration that places profits over people and tells us that science isn't real, that rolls back regulations that for decades has protected and given people a fighting chance for clean air, clean water, and clean land. Today we must stand for community-based programs that give marginalized communities traction to address the disinvestments that have limited their opportunities for positive change. Today, we must support our most vulnerable communities on their journey from surviving to thriving. As the speeches wrapped up, the marching began. Here are some of the sounds from the March for Science in Washington, D.C. Have a big round of applause for staying with us through this rain. I can still people streaming into the mall it's incredible and we are just about to march for science until you fund our science we will be defiant until you fund our science we will be defiant until you fund our science we will be defiant until you fund our science That was us just outside of the United States Environmental Protection Agency. And that was Eyes on Conservation correspondent Stacy Hollis at the Washington, D.C. March for Science. In addition to capturing sounds from the march, Stacy also chatted with a handful of, it, of attendees about why they turned out for the march and what science means to them. My name is Penny Briscoe, and I'm from Vicksburg, Michigan. And we came. I'm with my friend Kathy. Hi. She is a former middle school science teacher. I'm, a, I guess you call myself a citizen scientist. I do a lot of speaking related to Purple Martins in the state of Michigan. And we're here because we believe science is more important than any other cause. 
I'm, my name is Charlie Taylor, and I was a scientist for about 30 years in pharmaceutical research, biology, and worked on drugs for epilepsy and neuropathic pain that actually made it to market, which is kind of a miracle. Uh, but also I'm passionate about science education and science funding of organizations like NIH and NSF that educated me and paid for the work that I did before I started with the industry and paved the way for everything I did in industry. So it's very important, and I think a lot of people are realizing that. It's a great, great cause. Very nice. What does your sign say? It says, uh, mind, dot, 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 your brain, because your mind is your brain. So my name is Sarah May Nelson. I'm the conservation interpreter for the Monterey Bay Aquarium, and my sign says climate science is black and white, and we've got a bunch of penguins on it. So the Monterey Bay Aquarium is focused on inspiring conservation of the ocean, and so we do a lot of ocean-based science around sea otters, white sharks, and tuna specifically. But I'm the aquarium's climate change communication specialist, and so we're here to emphasize that science is real and that climate change is impacting the ocean, and most of all, there's something we can do about it. Awesome. Just as the March for Science was wrapping up in Washington, D.C., lots of other satellite marches were just getting started in other parts of the world. Here in Boise, Idaho, where I live, I was happy to see well over a thousand people congregating at Idaho's Capitol building for Boise's March for Science event. Here are some quick snippets from some of the speakers at this Boise event. My name is Amanda Drevich. I am finishing up my Ph.D. at Boise State University, where I look at fossils. Thank you. Hey, everybody. My name is Kevin Schramm. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, because of science, I've learned how to think. I've learned how to look at information or problems in a critical way and tune out uh, what we might call alternative information and learn how to make my own decisions uh, using peer review using other perspectives and learning how to sift through some of the BS that we see around here. I'm Jenna Duffin. I'm a PhD student in water resources. And because of science, we can restore ecological integrity to rivers and make happy places for fish to live. Hi, everyone. My name is Austin Hopkins. I'm a conservation associate with uh, Idaho Conservation League. Uh, my because of science is, you know, because of science, I have hope. I have hope that we're going to continue to cure diseases. We're going to continue to make progress in improving our environment, and we're going to continue making science-based policy. And not only that, I have hope because of you guys. This is awesome. Let's hear it. Yeah. Hi, everyone. My name is Dick Jordan. I've been asked to talk about science education probably because I've been doing it for over 36 years. Last Wednesday at a town hall meeting in Meridian, Representative Raul Labrador said, and I quote, I'll stay out of science if scientists stay out of politics. This statement emphasizes exactly why we are here today and why we need to keep educating lawmakers and laymen alike. We're in this together, and we need each other. Policymakers need science to make informed decisions, and science needs financial support and direction to prioritize their efforts. After the speeches were over, the crowd began its march around the Capitol building. Here are some sounds from the march. No science, no beer! 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 No science
And yes, those people were chanting, no science, no beer. We Idahoans have our priorities straight, I guess. Heading west from Boise into the Pacific time zone, we reach our next stop on this March for Science journey, Portland, Oregon, where Eyes on Conservation correspondent and co-host Courtney Ray was covering the march in this city, which has seen some of the most violent and disruptive post-Trump inauguration protests. Although it was well attended, Portland's March for Science remained peaceful, with lots of young people in attendance. What are your names and what brings you out to the march today? Miko and Isaac Vergun. So what brings us out to the march today is that we are very concerned about climate change and science is what we need to use to solve climate change. And we're tired of hearing our representatives and stuff to deny uh, climate change and uh, making dumb decisions that will affect us in the future. Yeah. Is that your main main message then? People need to get active on the political side of things? Uh, Yeah. yeah, It's mostly a moral thing for us. So we're out here to basically uh, push our leaders to make the right decisions and also, we stand in solidarity by the, for those who are already affected by climate change. And, yeah. And y'all are with Plant for the Planet. Yeah. Uh, a little yes. bit about that. Do you want to tell us a little bit more? Yeah. So, uh, Plant for the Planet is the United Nations-sponsored organization that trains youth and teens to become climate justice ambassadors through One Day Academies. And in these academies, they learn public speaking skills that they can use to um, give speeches, go to testimonies, yeah, and city hall uh, testify. That's kind of stuff you've been doing then. Yeah, Yeah. all over Oregon, or have you gone farther? Um, Yeah, my mom's in charge of the one in Oregon, but uh, the only other one in the U.S. is in Seattle. Okay, Uh, but yeah, it's around the world. Also, part of being climate ambassadors, my brother and I have been involved in a lot of stuff. Uh, Also, the um, lawsuit, the climate lawsuit against the government violating our rights uh, to life, liberty, and property for uh, allowing and promoting the use of fossil fuels. Uh, That's been pretty successful. So yeah, far. Yes. we just won the yeah. right to uh, sue the government. So our next trial will be somewhere in October, October or in the fall. Um, and you can catch up on the details and stuff on ourchildrenstrust.com. Cool. Yeah. Great, thanks for talking with me. Yeah. yeah. I will, uh, I'll see you in the streets. Our purpose, they must not repeal. Our purpose, they must not repeal. Keep the action localized. Keep the action localized. The EPA's been cannibalized. The EPA's been cannibalized. Rage on. Rage on. Stay strong. Stay strong. Portland raging. Yeah, could you give me a little description of what your booth is and what you're doing at the march today? Yeah, so I'm a stilt walker, so I'm going to be marching in stilts. And our booth today is all about juggling and the math of juggling. Different heights of throws have different numbers. 
And there are actually patterns of juggling that we discovered through math instead of just through doing it with our hands. That's awesome. Seems like people are having fun. Yes. What it's is excellent. this yo-yo thing called? That's called a Diablo or a Diabolo, and it's a gyroscope. So it uses gyroscopic stability to stay in place. You can throw it in the air and spin around and do all sorts of tricks with it. You can even do two-on-one strings, which I don't know how to do. (laughs) Entertainment plus science? Yep, it's the best. My dad goes to schools and teaches science through circus, and I go to after-school programs and through psychology and mindfulness therapy help kids kind of overcome some of their troubles. I want that for myself. It's awesome. Is this an organization? Is it something people can support or Um, check out? We're an entertainment group called Up For Grabs Inc., but the Portland Jugglers, who we are vaguely representing right now, meet every Wednesday at Reed College, and they are all-inclusive and wonderful, and we have a festival every September where you can come and learn to juggle and learn new tricks and meet new friends. It's awesome. That sounds really cool. So you're a physicist? Yeah, I'm a physicist, and I'm a, I'm a member of the International Socialist Organization, uh, Portland Branch, and uh, I think it's great. Folks are coming out in support of science, and uh, I think uh, science can be pretty radical, so... <laughs> People say science should be apolitical, but I say science is, by its very nature, political. You know, they locked Galileo away for saying the, you know, the Earth went around the sun, uh, and that was political then, and science is political now. Out of the labs, into the streets! Out of the labs, into the streets! Out of the labs, into the streets! Tell me a little bit about the Alliance for Visible Diversity in Science and what brings you out to this march today. Yeah, we are a new student group at Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, um, and we're basically trying to aid in the recruitment and retention of underrepresented minorities in science in graduate programs, specifically PhD programs uh, at OHSU. And uh, we're mostly um, in the neuroscience graduate program, Uh, So we're here to uh, show people that we're humans as well as scientists and uh, let people get to know us a little bit um, and what our day-to-day life looks like and talk about the intersection of science and diversity. That sounds great. How long has the program or group been going on? Uh, we started last fall, oh, okay. so we're just getting going, just getting organized. Hi, uh, what do you want to try the game? Cool yeah. that students are interested should know, or where can they find more information? Uh, you can find more Wait, information at our website, which is www.a4vdis.weebly.com. See you in the street. Moving south along the Pacific Coast, we come to the Bay Area in California, where Eyes on Conservation correspondent and conservation filmmaker Kristen Tiesch was covering the San Francisco March for Science. Okay, this is Kristen Tiesch, 
and we're just about to start marching down Market Street, and there's just so many great, clever signs that I see. So all of the smart scientists are out here today, and it makes me feel really confident in our future. It makes me feel that all of these powerful, smart people are um, out here standing up for science, and we're doing it together, and we're going to send a message to Washington that they can't deny fact and that they can't deny science, that climate change is real, that protecting our air is, is important, protecting our water is important, protecting our food supply is important, and so we're not going to let them take away the advances that we've made. Protecting our family is important, too. What about that? So let's keep, let's keep marching and keep talking to some people here today. Okay, I just, met, I just met a man who's holding a sign that says, Nurses use science to save lives. And so I'm here to talk to him about why he came down to March for Science today. What's your name? Hi, my name is Bob. Um, I've been a nurse for about 25 years now and um, came down here because evidence-based practice is important for moving safe patient care forward. All right, so I'm talking to these two very, very interesting women who have really great signs. Hi, yeah, this sign says uh, no band, no wall, science is for all, um, because we want to, you know, there's scientists all around the world, there's a lot of people, science benefits from all minds, and some of the best scientists we have had have been refugees, and we have a refugee crisis right now, and we should be welcoming people to contribute to scientific discovery. I'm Flynn May, and um, my sign says support black and brown scientists, and again, yeah, we're fighting for all scientists, and I think a lot of people don't recognize how many um, discoveries and innovations have been brought to us through black and brown scientists from abroad and America. And without those minds working together, we wouldn't have the civilization that we have right now. It's great that all the scientists came out today to kind of march for science, but also these signs are also kind of messages to scientists too, because in science we, had, we could do a lot better. So, like, for access to STEM education is not equal for all people. Um, definitely, there's a lot of people who are being excluded, who could be included, and science is better when we include everyone. My name is Noelle Lucy, and I'm a marine biologist. I study ocean acidification and uh, work on how organisms on the o in the ocean basically respond to increased levels of CO2 getting into the water. And then can you tell me what your sign says? Scott Pruitt can suck my gooey duck. Ocean acidification is real. <laughs> a, a gooey duck? A gooey duck. It's a mollusk that lives... It's, um, it's a, the giant clam of the Pacific is the common name. So it lives in sediment uh, in the Pacific all along the coast here. Okay, and so can you just tell me the connection between Scott Pruitt and ocean acidification or the disconnect so scott pruitt basically doesn't want to give ocean acidification the time of day and say that it's actually a real problem that's affecting marine life and it, it really is and it needs to be taken seriously because shell organisms with shells are dissolving because of these increased levels of co2 that cause greater acidified waters and you know these resources are basically being depleted and Washington and Oregon are 
industries like aquaculture industries there are being hit first and it's a U.S. problem and he's not doing anything about it and he's saying he's denying it yeah yeah he's, he's denying it saying that it's not a real thing that we need to pay attention to so it needs to be addressed and so is that why you came down to march for science today yeah it is and um generally because climate change needs to be taken more seriously and ocean acidification is just my little specialty thing so well it's not a little specialty it's a big specialty so we thank you for your science <laughs> okay have a great day today you too <laughs> All right, so I'm down here with a woman who's wearing a NASA t-shirt, and so I decided to stop and talk to her. Can you tell me who you are and what you do? Sure. My name is Sherry, and I'm a biological oceanographer, and I study the biodiversity of the phytoplankton in the ocean using satellite remote sensing imagery. And I'm here today because I'm really interested in an upcoming mission that's planned for NASA called the PACE Sensor, and it's under development, and it's been called out in the budget to be canceled along with three other climate-related satellite missions. And a lot of work has gone into this, and I think it's an effort by the administration to shoot the messenger rather than understand what the facts are. Okay, so can you tell me what your sign says and give me a little bit more detail about the pace? Sure. So my sign says, I march because science keeps our drinking water safe. And what I'm interested in studying, one of the things I do is I look at toxic cyanobacterial blooms using remote sensing imagery so we can identify them from space and know where our water intakes may be located and know where we need to shut down the water intakes so we don't harm our people. And so I'm interested in PACE because the type of sensor it is will allow us to be able to distinguish among different organisms much better than we can do now and inform us a lot better on where we need to take those actions. Um, wisely. The existing sensors that are out there right now are starting to lead, or reach the end of their lifespan, and if we don't replace them with other sensors, we're going to have a gap in the science data, and we won't be able to take actions like these um, in an efficient way that instead of just having people constantly out there sampling. So if NASA loses its funding, then something like this will never... If we continue to halt missions by NASA, who's been such a leader in satellite remote sensing, then we will have more gaps in our data. And in terms of, is there going to be satellite imagery out there? Yeah, because places like the China and India and Japan, Korea, and the European Space Agency are sending sensors out there. But NASA and the U.S. has really led in this area, and we're taking a step back from that, which is too bad. You know, as I continue to march down Market Street, I keep meeting people who want to talk to me about why they showed up for the march today. So can you tell me who you are? And yes, my name is Cynthia Tuttleman. I'm a right, retired physician, and I came because science is the language of the universe. And I, I noticed you have a really interesting a hat. hat. Yeah, can you tell hat. me more about that? It's a knitted brain hat, and there's patterns all over the Internet now um, in conjunction with the march to make these brain hats. <laughs> So, yeah, so we moved on from pussy hat to brain hat. And, you know, it fits. It's, it looks good on you. You wear it well. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Marching down Market Street right now, I'm realizing that right now, as a conservation filmmaker, I'm documenting human behavior. This is what humans do when we're faced with a challenge. We come together and we support each other. I'm Pat. And you're a science teacher. I am a science teacher, and I'm also originally from Jamaica. And I've seen what the rising sea level is doing in Jamaica to our coastline and everything, and it's terrible. And we've got to do something. And what's strange is just yesterday, I looked at the local, on the online copy of the Jamaican newspaper, and we've ratified, Jamaica's ratified the Paris Treaty, and they're talking about changing for global warming. 
and the U.S. is, is like sitting on their butt doing nothing. And it's like Jamaica's a quote-unquote developing country, and yet even we realize there's a problem, and why isn't the U.S. realized? So Jamaica's also an island nation, so perhaps global warming and sea rise levels, you know, is... is having an effect. Definitely. Yeah, can you tell me more about that? Um, well, I was home in, November, in May for my niece's wedding, and we went to a restaurant down in a place called Port Royal. And when we got there, there was, a, there was parts of the streets that were flooded, and I said, oh, I didn't realize it had rained that much. And it's like, no, it's high tide. And the streets are flooded at high tide. And it's like, this was never, I mean, I grew up here, and it, it was never that way. And now that's, that's a reality. So you're a science teacher. Yes. Where are you a science teacher? and what, yes. what grade? I, uh, high school. I'm a, a special ed science teacher at Homestead High School. Is that in San Francisco? Cupertino. And so do you teach your, your students about climate change and global warming, et cetera? We, we mostly do it uh, because it's not... I teach biology this year, and it's not part of the curriculum. But in our environmental science class, we do talk about it. And I told my kids where I was coming today. So. And what did they think about you coming up to or showing up to the March for Science today? They were in favor of it. I think, I think a lot of the, the next generation is, is more aware, I think, than a lot of the older people are. Tell me what democracy looks like. This is what democracy looks like. Tell me what democracy looks like. This is what democracy looks like. Tell me what democracy looks like. This is what democracy looks like. Tell me what democracy looks like. This is what democracy looks like. My name is Jane Kim, and the sign that I'm holding depicts Donald Trump as a scarecrow and takes the uh, line from Wizard of Oz as if only I had a brain. <laughs> S-C-I-E-N-C-E Science is for you and me. S-C-I-E-N-C-E Science is for you and me. So I've been marching down Market Street and I see a lot of pussy hats. I see these brain hats, but now I'm seeing something totally new. Um, What's your name, and could you tell me about the hat that's on your head? (laughs) I'm Lori. It's a tinfoil hat that was made for me by another marcher here. There are alternative science, (laughs) scientific uh, proposals that tinfoil hats can block the uh, radioactive and other negative brainwaves from entering your head. I think today I'm trying to symbolize blocking alternative facts from entering my head. (laughs) I won't be your guinea pig.
Hi, I'm Lee Stone, and I'm the president of the IFPTE Local 30 that represents all of the non-management NASA employees at Ames Research Center. And so lots of scientists and engineers doing uh, research on behalf of the American people. Um, I'm here largely to support my children because um, I care deeply about the planet I'm going to leave them. And it is our responsibility as the older generation to make sure we leave the planet in as good a shape, if not better, than the, than the planet that was handed over to us by our parents. And I think we've done a terrible job. And so it's extremely important um, for us to wake up and to rectify our errors of the recent past and to work diligently to um, to mitigate the problems that we've created through creative energy policies um, that um, reduce our carbon footprint. And as a NASA employee, I'm extraordinarily proud that even though I'm not an Earth scientist, um, my union represents a large group of Earth scientists. And NASA's role in all of this is that we have all of these satellites that are looking down at Earth. It's Earth observation satellites. And these satellites are looking at our planet and looking at our climate and making measurements that allow scientists to understand what's happening and to make predictions. And the massive amount of data that we collect from these uh, satellites has to be processed and analyzed and understood so that the information can be given to citizens who need it, including our, our farmers in the Central Valley who can use that information to optimize their water usage for their crops and their food that they're growing ultimately gets to your table. So at the end of the day, that's just an example of how important um, NASA's role in all of this. And we work together, obviously, with NOAA, with the EPA and other uh, with the Department of Interior to um, safeguard our planet in many ways. But the role that NASA plays is to collect that massive amount of data observing the Earth from space uh, and, and using that information to understand how our planet works. So you brought up another interesting point. I'm, you know, uh, Trump's cabinet, including the Department of the Interior, I mean, this doesn't really sound like somebody that that people like you can really work with anymore. Can you comment on that? Well, I think that one of the uh, important things for the average citizen to understand is that scientists aren't policy makers and policy makers aren't scientists. So it is true that we've had an election and, and the government, the newly elected administration can put its policymakers in place, um, and we can, we can object to the policies that they might have or might put forward, but at the end of the day, they're entitled to um, their political viewpoints, but they're not entitled to their own science and their own data, and at the end of the day, the role as a scientist is for us to make sure that the information is available and is out there for the public to understand and to see and to prevent people from coming up with policies that are based on gibberish 
and, and, and false alternative facts. We understand that as rank-and-file scientists, we do not make the policies, but it's our job to, to stand up to power, on, regardless of who the, who the president is or who their nominee is, and to just say what the truth is, what our measurements are. The pH of the bay is a number. It's not an opinion. You measure these things, and you use these things to understand what's happening, and we will continue to be undeterred in our role as communicators of scientific information to the public. The public pays our salary, and we're there to serve them as public servants, and we will continue to do so, regardless of who's running you know, uh, any particular agency. They may be able to set policies, but they can't create false facts. We will not allow them to do that. Thank you for being so strong and using your voice like that and in presenting us with the data. <laughs> That's our job. We'll continue, continue to do that as long as I, I've got a breath in my body is to, uh, is to do my job uh, with integrity and independence. Our job is to measure things and analyze things and produce the information necessary for intelligent policymaking. Okay, so I showed up to the March for Science this morning, a few hours ago, and so far I've talked to so many inspiring people who have just so much passion for truth. And when we're faced with an administration who's telling us blatant lies, and we know it's not true, we show up in numbers to show them that the people are speaking louder than his tweets and his lies. And so I just got back to my bicycle. I rode down here today because I wanted to support fossil fuel-free transportation. So I'm going to wrap up my interviewing and my storytelling today. And I'm going to join the march just by walking along with my bicycle and just show my own dedication to living a fossil fuel-free world. And this is Kristen Tiesch signing out. Our final stop on this tour of March for Science events across the U.S. is San Diego, where Eyes on Conservation correspondent and fellow co-host Serena Simons was out capturing interviews and audio from the San Diego March for Science event. Hey, hey! Ho-ho! Alternative facts have got to go! Hey, hey! Ho-ho! So just to kind of paint the scene for you all today, um, we are at the March for Science in San Diego, California, and we are in the part of the march today. We are seeing people from all walks of life, all different backgrounds, all different ages, coming all together in one place to stand up for science, and it's a really amazing thing. Um, we're kind of in the middle of downtown on Broadway Circle, and there's big buildings all around us. We're luckily in the shade right now because it's a little bit hot today in uh, sunny Southern California. A lot of people here are actually not from San Diego, so they've kind of come from local areas in Southern California to be with the collective, the big group of people, and show their support in a big way, which I think is important. So I've been just kind of stationary over at the side, just watching how many people are kind of coming through today. And um, 
so far, I, I'd say we're like, I don't know, 10 blocks deep of people here. All right, so can you say your name and what you do? What's your profession? My name is Patrick Pemberton. I work at a university library here in town. So what brings you here today? Well, um, we wanted to uh, support science. I'm not a scientist, but I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of uh, clean air and uh, electricity and <laughs> not global warming. And, uh, you know, it's... And the truth. I think the truth is the most important part. We, well, many of the speakers uh, earlier today were uh, touching upon that. We have too many people uh, talking about facts as if there's an alternative to them. There isn't. There's only facts. There's only the truth. And uh, I think that's important. Can you kind of paint the scene for us here today? Well, there are a lot, there are a lot more people than I expected. This is really something. Um, I see people of all ages from different backgrounds, and uh, they're really, they, seem, they really seem to be... Uh, what is the word I'm looking for? They really seem to be energized in this, by this. And it's, 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 it's encouraging. So you're a San Diego local. Have you ever seen anything like this before? Well, yeah, we came down for the Women's March uh, a couple of months back. So, I mean, that was, you know, that was a, a singular thing. It was, uh, it was bigger, but it was, I think it's, that was the beginning of something. A lot of people there said, well, is it going to last? Well, what will we do? And I'm like, I think this is the proof that people are engaged and are remaining engaged. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're here because we believe in science and we want a better future for our children and our children's children. And we don't agree with the administration and the cuts that they're trying to make to, fund, to science funding. So we're here to show our support for science. My husband works in biotech. So, yeah, there's a lot of people. We were here at the Women's March as well, and so it's really neat to see all the signs and all the community that comes out of this. Yeah, so we're excited to be here. A lot of people, a lot of signs, good energy, like goosebumps the whole time, because just to see everybody, that you're not alone and how you're feeling. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> Have a great time, guys. My name is Naz Whiteley. I'm the membership chair for North uh, Encinitas North Coast Democratic Club. And what brings you here today? Um, I'm an environmentalist. I love um, and our planet, and I'm here um, feel that our current president is against science. So I'm here March against. So I'm Narima Lopez, I'm the president of the Encinitas Democratic Club, and I'm also a research scientist. So I'm here today to protest all of the Trump administration cutbacks in science. I worked in oncology and ophthalmology, and there's great basic research that starts at NIH and all the federal-funded research then then goes to the big drug companies. That's where it starts. The basic research starts under the federal government, and the, these cuts and non-funded Funding is just a travesty. The, the the young students being involved in science, I think that's very inspiring that a future generation is inter interested in science and interested in uh, keeping our air clean, finding new ways to save the environment. Right. Exactly. And I'm so proud of you guys being here. That's wonderful. So uh, can you guys just say your names? And you guys look young to me, so say your age and what you guys do. Um, my name's Samantha. I am 22. I'm a student at Cal State San Marcos and also an immunologist uh, researcher there. My name is Alyssa Dubord. I am 23. I go to Cal State San Marcos. I'm a biochem major with a minor in biology and I want to do conservation work for the oceans. 
and anything that needs saving. So you guys are both in the sciences, so I don't really have to ask what brings you guys here today. <laughs> um, science and um, mainly just protecting science because it's getting defunded, and the Earth also because it is Earth Day. And both of this, the, both of those things mean a lot to me, and they're very important, not just to me, but for everyday life. Say your name and uh, what you do, and I noticed you're a volunteer here, which is amazing, and talk a little bit about how you started getting into that. Okay, um, I'm Elizabeth Rosenblum. I'm a physician and I'm a professor at UC San Diego, and um, I just volunteered this morning because this march is really important. Science is so crucial for our health and well-being, and um, you know, one of the reasons people sort of maybe take it for granted is because it's been so successful, especially in the sphere of public health. We don't see polio. We don't see, hopefully, measles. And so people think we don't need vaccines, and maybe even vaccines are bad for people. But in fact, probably a third of the people here wouldn't be alive today without vaccines. You know, you can really despair reading the newspaper and What's great about this is it just re-energizes you that you're not alone, that other people also think that science and scientific inquiry and facts are crucial. Um, so that's why I feel like marches like this are important, but obviously this is not enough. We have to take the energy from here and we have to contact our representatives and make sure that we have people representing us who will fight for the things that we think are important. So my name is Brooke Daly. I'm a substitute teacher and I also am a bat biologist. Awesome. So it was your sign that caught my attention. Uh, can you explain a little bit about uh, what it means and uh, your interest in bats? So my sign says it's batty to deny climate change and save the bats. I do research over the summertime and it's really hard to find funding uh, for programs that I work under. I get paid very, very little to do technician work because there's so little funding for my job pretty much. So it affects me directly. I think the coolest thing I've seen so far is everybody getting together peacefully, happily, supporting each other and supporting science. I, I think it's great to see a big crowd like this and feel comfortable in it, even with the kids. That's amazing. That's my favorite thing, too, is just seeing the diversity in people, all ages, walks of life. Right. We love it. We've, science is, does not have a political agenda. I think that's why we're here, too. I mean, we've got Democrats and Republicans in our family, and it just shouldn't have any political base to it. It's just, it is what it is, so. Science is science. Science is science, so, <laughs> yeah. So that's it, our tour of March for Science events across the U.S. Of course, we really only scratched the surface with this podcast episode. The March for Science was an international event with more than 600 participating cities across the globe. So if you marched for science, we want to hear from you. Tell us where you marched, why you marched, and what your experience was like. You can share these comments directly on the show notes page for this episode, which you'll find at wildlensinc.org EOC119, or you can share a comment on our Eyes on Conservation Facebook page. You can also tell us what you thought about today's episode of the show. This is a new experiment for us here at Eyes on Conservation, and we'd love to hear what you think about this different format. Should we keep covering events like the March for Science moving forward? Do you have any suggestions for improvement? We really do want to hear from you. So again, the show notes page for today's episode is wildlensinc.org EOC119. 
check it out and leave us a comment. You can also check us out and subscribe to the show via iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. If you're feeling particularly generous today, you can always leave us an honest rating and review on iTunes. This helps us reach new people with the conservation and science-themed content that we produce here on the show. Just search for Eyes on Conservation in the iTunes store or follow the link on the show notes page. The Eyes on Conservation podcast is a production of Wild Lens. Today's episode was produced by myself, your host, Matt Podolsky, in collaboration with our team of Eyes on Conservation producers and correspondents, Sean Bogle, Stacey Hollis, Courtney Ray, Kristen Tiesch, and Serena Simons. We'll close out today's episode with music from John Batiste and Stay Human, the house band at the March for Science in Washington, D.C. This land is Okay.